You are listening to So What, a podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. CMU is in Treaty 1 territory, Winnipeg, Manitoba. I am your host, Jonas Cornelson, joining you from Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. Welcome to another episode of So What? Once again, Treaty 1 territory is the focus of this episode. We start with the story of Treaty 1 Nation, a new collaboration model among the seven First Nations who signed Treaty 1 in 1871. If you listened to our last episode, you can probably guess this has a lot to do with the site of the former Kapyong Barracks in Winnipeg and the interest of these First Nations in developing the land as an urban reserve with housing, commercial areas, and recreation facilities. Last month, I told you that the Federal Department of Defense was prevented in court from selling the former Kapyong Barracks to the Canada Lands Company, a crown corporation, for redevelopment. These court proceedings were launched by the First Nations of Treaty 1, whose outstanding land claims gave them the right to be consulted and express interest in the parcel. It took a long time, but the First Nations essentially won. However, in the end, this is not a simple case of I win, you lose. The Canada Lands Company did not become sole owners of the site, but they're still around the project. In the final agreement, 68% of the land is owned by the First Nations, and 32% was sold to Canada Lands, and they also collaborated on the master plan for the whole site with Treaty One Nations Development Company. So, this month, the chapter of our story on the Nawi Udina Urban Reserve deals with how enemies became friends. Okay, that's too dramatic, but we're going to dive a bit deeper into who these parties are and how they're now working together. Last month, we were talking about neighboring relationships between Treaty 1 First Nations and the broader Winnipeg and Canadian communities. I think the story we'll cover today of growing partnerships between First Nations and a federal crown corporation is a hopeful sign. It puts that neighboring process right into the planning and ultimately building of the site itself. A nation-to-nation relationship between Treaty 1 and Canada lands with a side-by-side integrated master plan. Let's talk about who each of these partners are. We'll start with the rise of Treaty One Nation. Once we have the urban reserve, and we're pushing for a Treaty One urban reserve, so it'll it'll be a little bit different than, say, a reserve owned by a First Nation. This one will be commonly held by the Treaty One. This is what we're asking that um, that it be. We believe that a strong Treaty One will also mean a strong uh, Manitoba and a strong Canada. We believe that the Treaty 1 chiefs have to work together. That's now former chief Dennis Meaches of Long Plain First Nation in Treaty 1. He was speaking at CMU in November 2015 at the second of two events CMU held that year on the future of the former Kapyong Barracks. Here, Chief Meaches is discussing one of the most unique aspects of what will become the Nawi Udana Urban Reserve, that it will be held in common by seven different First Nations all working together. Part of the reason these nations got to this position is that the original treaties were never properly implemented. Let's hear from Chief Miches on how the federal government's failure to honor treaty agreements when they were signed has actually put First Nations, in some ways, in a better position today to access and develop strategically located land. Well, let's put it this way. Back in Confederation, when they're um, undertaking the treaty process, 
Um, if First Nations such as Long Plain would have received their full allotment of land at that time, then there would be no land claim. So in a way, it's destiny. Um, I think it, it bodes well for First Nations people because can you imagine if we didn't have any land claims? We wouldn't be in Kapyong. I'm really intrigued by the language that Chief Miches uses here. That it could have been destiny, or even that it bodes well, for Canada to have broken this particular treaty promise for specific amounts of land. The process of land claims has also provided a big push for all the Treaty 1 First Nations to collaborate more formally. There is now a political body known as Treaty 1 Nation, made up of seven communities, Peguis, Sag King, Rosa River, Brokenhead, Long Plain, Swan Lake, and Sandy Bay. Each one maintains its status and rights as an independent nation, but they have established a common governance structure. I'm going to turn it over to Jolene Mercer, Director of Governance for Treaty One Nation, to explain more of how the process around land entitlements and the former Kapyong Barracks coincided with this more formal collaboration. Jolene is speaking at a more recent town hall event, also hosted by CMU in 2022. And in the 1990s um, is when the first treaty land entitlement agreements came out. So when the treaties were signed, there was uh, an acreage amount in there that was promised to each family, each person. And uh, that never came to be. And so what happened is we had treaty land entitlement agreements. So to try to correct some of um, the discrepancies with the amount of acres that were listed. Just to tie it in. Those land claims Chief Miches was talking about now happen through these treaty land entitlements, a process created in the 1990s, over 100 years since the original treaties were signed. Now back to Jolene on what this has to do with the rise of Treaty 1 Nation. Then back in 2001, Canada's strategic disposal um, of the land started to happen with Kapiong Barracks. So that's when we knew that they were going to be disposing of Kapiong Barracks. And uh, actually Brokenhead and Long Plain laid claim to Kapiong Barracks as federal surplus lands. So in 2007, the Treaty One Nations united. So all seven came together, started working together, and they signed a political accord. So this political accord outlines how they're going to work together and what they're going to be working on together. And they established a governance council at that time. So one of the things that Chief Blue Sky always mentions is that our treaties were signed back in 1871. At that time, we never relinquished the governance structure that we had. And so it's always been in existence. So the accord is just saying, okay, we're going to come back together now and reestablish our relationships with each other. I found that interesting. While Treaty One Nation is sort of a new organization, it is actually based on governance structures that predate Canadian Confederation. Jolene mentioned that these nations started discussions in 2007. The final Treaty One declaration, as per a copy published by Sandy Bay, was signed in 2017. But all through that time, and since, the Chiefs and First Nations have been working together to advocate for their collective rights. And as Jolene outlined, this coming together followed land claims first made by Brokenhead and Long Plain at the Kapyong site. Maybe it really is destiny, to borrow Chief Meech's phrase, that the federal government's failure to consult First Nations on the sale of Kapyong 
led in part to the strengthening of political alliances between the First Nations of Treaty 1. I would really encourage you to visit treaty1.ca, that's the number one, to learn more about what these seven nations are doing together. You can also read about the Treaty 1 Development Corporation, an arm's-length company owned by the nation, a bit like a crown corporation in Canada, whose current major project is, you guessed it, developing the former Kapyong Barracks, now of course known as Nawi Udina. That's a bit about Treaty One Nation and its development corporation. But as I mentioned earlier, there's another partner in this process. The Canada Lands Company is a crown corporation that mainly does exactly what's going on at Nawi Udina, the redevelopment of federal surplus lands. They were once positioned to own the whole former Kapyong site and now have title to 32% of the land. What's their vision for the area? And how are they working together with Treaty 1 now as collaborators instead of competitors? Let's talk about Canada Lands Company and their role in the future of Nawi Udina. Through our negotiations with, with Canada, uh, we've always treated it as a nation-to-nation -nation negotiation on, because of the treaty. Uh, CLC, uh, of course Canada would like to see them involved. Um, the decision to, to allow that to happen uh, is under negotiation. And, uh... That was Chief Dennis Meaches, again in 2015, at the time being somewhat coy about the role Canada Lands Company might play in developing the Kapyong site. He mentioned that Canada, the federal government, would really like to see CLC involved in the development process. Why might that be? One answer is that Canada Lands is a self-financed federal crown corporation. Their money comes from business operations, but their mandate comes from the government, and they report to Parliament. In other words, whatever CLC is doing, the federal government gets full disclosure by default. And their mandate isn't just to be any old property developer. Among other things, CLC specializes in redeveloping federal government surplus land, often old military bases within established urban areas. Another panelist at the 2015 CMU event where we've heard from Chief Meaches was Harry Finnegan, former director of planning for the city of Winnipeg. He noted that Canada Lands Company, when they were looking at the whole Kapyong site, put forward a vision not unlike what they had done with the former army base near where I live in Calgary. Now Kapyong Barracks, when I was director of planning, and of course the intent was the federal government was going to have Canada Lands develop the property, and Canada Lands had um, a vision that was going to see residential development happen in a way that's similar to what they did on an old military uh, barracks um, in Calgary called Garrison Woods. When I went and visited Garrison Woods, I was totally impressed with what Canada Lands had developed. They created a walkable neighborhood. It's the kind of healthy neighborhood that planners love to talk about nowadays. It's, and it's worked very, very well in the, in the city of Calgary. So according to Harry Finnegan, 
the government ties aren't the only reason CLC is a good fit for this project. They're simply good at what they do. Rather than just putting up a bunch of houses with nothing else around, CLC's developments, at least in principle, support mixed-use areas with residential and commercial units close by, walkability, and interspersed green spaces. Andrew Holtman, then the president of the Tuxedo Community Center in Winnipeg, near the Kapyong Barracks site, also spoke at CMU about why this kind of development would mix well with the areas that already surround it, like CMU, and also referenced CLC's work at Garrison Woods in Calgary. And, you know, so what would I like to see there? I mean, uh, I merely went to Garrison Woods and I thought, you know, a walkable, you know, new urbanism inspired development that had mixed use with residential would be great. It would improve density in our neighborhood. It'd be good for transit. It'd be good for getting kids up to the community center. Andrew mentioned something here that I'll try not to get too deep into. It's a personal interest of mine, but I want to flag for your attention. New urbanism. This is a school of thought in design and planning that's basically about building cities, or at least areas of them, at a human scale. Houses and apartments close to services. Going by foot or maybe bicycle, as opposed to getting everywhere by car. It's not only a matter of how you get somewhere, but also what a destination feels like. Are you swimming in a sea of parking lots and box stores, or mingling with other people on a wide sidewalk with storefronts and patios? In some ways, new urbanism is a bit like old urbanism, before there had to be a thing called urbanism at all because things being close together was just the way cities were built before cars were common. One of the biggest differences, I would say, is new urbanism's added focus on aesthetic experience. It's not just cramming things in. A bike ride through Garrison Woods here in Calgary reveals frequent small parks, traffic-calm streets, and street-level retail near the border with the older neighborhood to the north. I didn't go there specifically to research this episode, but I've been through the area. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it has a lot going for it. Since then, Canada Lands has developed two more areas from the same former military base to similar acclaim, particularly the neighborhood of Curry that sits near Mount Royal University, not unlike the proximity of CMU to the future Nawi Udina development. All that to say, Canada Land's experience in developing large parcels of land with thoughtful design principles make them a good partner for the Nawi Udana site. And as I mentioned near the top of this episode, CLC is very much still around this project. If you go to their website, Nawi Udana is proudly listed as one of the company's flagship projects in partnership with Treaty One Nation. The lead paragraph of their write-up on Nawi Udana reads, quote, This landmark project known previously as the former Kapyong Barracks, aspires to be the pride of Winnipeg and the rest of Canada, showcasing the best in Indigenous business, design, arts, and culture for generations to come. Even after years of controversy over who would own what, Canada Lands and Treaty One have gotten together and will work on the project as partners. I mentioned before that CLC has a 32% ownership stake in the property, compared with 68% held by Treaty 1 as reserve land. But the two parties developed the area master plan together, with lots of community consultation. I'm going to turn it over to Tim Daniels, 
chief development officer of Treaty One Development Corporation, speaking at CMU in 2022, on what this process and engagement looked like. You know, in working on the master plan, it was an 18-month process for for us. We did a lot of engagements with the city of Winnipeg, our Treaty One nations. You know, we you can't build a community uh, without working with the, your neighbors and, and, and the city. So uh, we, like I said, the master plan was uh, 18 months in the works. And keep in mind, this was all done under COVID. We had just started a really good process in terms of engaging people and coming up with some concept plans to start discussing how Nawi Udinawa would look like. So we took it online because we had, we, had, we had selected some sites here in this, in this area to do some town hall meetings just like this, to talk about the project just like this. But we had to take it online and we did it, we did it online through Zoom and we did it with our partners, Canada Lands Company. And Canada Lands Company is uh, the federal developer. They, they take on Canada's federal surplus lands and, and redevelop them. Canada Lands Company told us when we did our engagement online, there was 800 people watching us live that evening in June, of, June 17th, 2020. And that was the largest town hall meeting they've ever had in their 25-year history. So there was a lot of, a lot of interest in the site or in this project uh, from the city of Winnipeg. And for the, mo- for the most part, about 70% of those people watching online were f- from this, from this, uh, this region here in, in, in uh, Tuxedo and, and uh, Winnipeg and, and uh, River Heights. So there was a lot of engagement, a lot of surveys done, a lot of information gathered. So we, we, continue, we continue to plug on uh, uh, through COVID on this master plan. So it's 109 acres that Treaty One Development Corporation is going to develop and 51 acres Canada Lands Company. Despite COVID and all its disruptions, local interest in the project remained very strong. In the end, the master plan, released in 2021, combines the new urbanism we talked about before with an emphasis on Indigenous history, culture and design throughout the site. Next month, we're going to wrap up this series with a look at the plan itself, including more from the public presentation on the plan that took place at CMU in September 2022. As someone who grew up in Winnipeg, then attended CMU, and thus frequently passed by those huge empty fields with a few derelict buildings, I'm really excited to look at what's going to be there, especially because this project is so unique as a large mixed-use urban reserve. I hope you'll join me for that look to the future in our April episode. For now, thanks for listening to the story of Treaty 1 and Canada Lands coming together to build as neighbours and partners. That's it for So What this month. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this story. Leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. I've also posted a little background on why the old barracks in Winnipeg were called Kapyong. Head over there and check it out. My name is Jonas Cornelson, and I'll be back next month with another episode. Talk to you soon. <laughs>